Well, today uh, we're going to wrap up our series, Personal God. We're going to do so with a practical message, a practical challenge uh, from Luke chapter 5, verses 27 through 23. So if you have a Bible with you, uh, you can turn there. Um, We have Bibles in some of the seat racks in front of you, and then you're welcome to use your phone or your tablet. Um, We love to use the uh, YouVersion Bible app um, here at OCC. And uh, so this this passage um, is Luke's account of Jesus calling Matthew. Um, he's referred to as Levi at this point. Later on, his name changes uh, to Matthew. And uh, I love this passage so much because we're given an immediate follow-up to what happened just after Jesus extended this invitation to Matthew. Uh, sometimes when Jesus calls someone to follow him, you know, we see that obedience. We see that they drop what they're doing. They follow Jesus. And then some time goes by before we see them again in Scripture. But that's not the case here. So I'm going to read uh, this passage in its entirety. It's not a very long text. And then we'll spend some time uh, unpacking the passage before providing some practical application today. So Luke chapter 5, uh, verses 27 through 32, says uh, that later... As Jesus left the town, now this passage comes immediately after uh, the text that Caleb preached on last week. So that word later, or then, um, this is immediately following that. It says, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, he left everything, and he followed him. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Uh, Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Well, Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. You know, the passage that we just read begins by telling us about Levi, who is also called Matthew. And Jesus extended to Matthew the invitation to leave his old life behind and to follow him. He was offering Matthew a new start. And we're told that Matthew just he got up, he left everything, and he followed Jesus. Now, Jewish tax collectors were hated by the other Jews because they were considered traitors by working for the Roman Empire. Uh, Most tax collectors were deceitful. We don't know this about Matthew for for sure, but most of them were deceitful. They often charged people more than what was actually owed, and then they would pocket the rest, and that's how they made a living. That's how they made their income. So calling a tax collector, that was was a pretty radical move on Jesus' part. And the Jewish mind, just understand this, in the Jewish mind, the tax collectors, they were placed on the same level as prostitutes and murderers. That's how they thought of them. Well, later that day, Matthew held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. And we're told in Scripture that many of his tax collector friends were also in attendance Now, seeing this, the Pharisees and these teachers of religious law, they started complaining to Jesus' disciples. You know, why do you eat and drink with such scum? Jesus can't be from God because he's choosing to associate himself with sinners and tax collectors. By following Jesus, you're actually defiling yourself by being around tax collectors. How can you spend time with people like this? I mean, you can hear the critique in the words that they used. This is pretty much what they said any time that they saw Jesus doing anything. 
Now, Jesus' answer to their critique is very powerful. Verses 31 and 32, Jesus said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. Something you may not know about me is that I really dislike going to the doctor. I don't like it. <laughs> you know, for my wife, it's like pulling teeth to get me to go to the doctor. And, and one of the reasons I don't like going is because of who's there. Do you know who sits in a doctor's office? It's sick people, right? <laughs> Duh. <laughs> sick people. You know, doctors, they have to constantly be around sick people. It's part of their job. There's, there's really no way around it. There's no way to make the sick people well if they weren't around them. If a doctor only spent time with healthy people, he or she would likely get fired for not doing their job. Well, Jesus told the Pharisees and these religious, re, religious leaders, these teachers of religious law, he said that his job was to be around the spiritually sick and to make them well. He said, healthy people, they, they don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Now I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. Now if you remember back to week one of our series, we learned about how Jesus has called each and every one of us to follow him and to learn how to become fishers of men. He's given us what's called the ministry of reconciliation. This just means that we are to work to, to use the gifts that God has given us at bringing as many people to Jesus as possible. And the point that Jesus was sharing with Simon Peter at the beginning of Luke chapter 5 and what he was sharing with the Pharisees and religious leaders at the end of Luke 5 is the same. It's that our mission must be the same as Jesus' mission. That's a great way to think about Luke chapter 5 in its entirety. Our mission must be the same as Jesus' mission. We're not to deviate. We're not to get off track. We're called to do everything that we can to bring the spiritually sick to Jesus so that he can do what only he can do in making them well. We must learn to have the attitude that every person needs to hear the gospel. And in order for them to hear it, we have to go to where they are. Instead of having the attitude of the Pharisees who wanted nothing to do with tax collectors and sinners, the spiritually sick, we must adopt the attitude of Jesus. People are spiritually sick. We learned last week how Jesus is the cure. And we're called to bring people to Jesus. It's this ministry of reconciliation. Now in order for this to happen, here it is, and this is, this is the big thought for the day. You ready for it? Uh, this, this, this may be too much. You ready? In order for this to happen, we have to spend time with the spiritually sick. All right, did you get it? We have to spend time with the lost. If all we do is focus on each other within the, the four walls of the church, then we're missing the mission that Jesus has given to us. We're, we're not living like Jesus. We're called to spend time with the lost because Jesus spent time with the lost. And not only are we called to spend time with the spiritually sick, but we're also called to do things that would encourage people to follow Jesus, to learn more about him. You know, but Jesus' response to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, it goes even deeper than this. Let me ask you a question. When do you typically go to the doctor? When do you typically go to the doctor? I'd like to point out that it's not when you're just a little sick. 
It's not when you're, when you're just sick. We, we all get sick, and really the first response for most people is to try and get well at home, right? We want to be somewhere comfortable. We don't like to go to a doctor's office if we don't have to. We like to see if we can get over the sickness ourselves. Uh, when we go to the doctor is when we know that we're sick and we need help getting well. We can't do it ourselves. We only go to the doctor when we understand that we're sick and realize that we need a doctor's help to get well. And this was Jesus' point about how he did not come to save the people who think they are righteous. Verse 32, he said, I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners, know they are sick, and need to repent. The point is this. Jesus didn't come to save the people who think they're well. He can't save people like this because they don't understand that they're sick and they don't realize that they need Jesus to make them well. This was the problem of the Pharisees all throughout the New Testament in, the, in all four Gospels. They, they didn't know that they were sick. They didn't recognize they were sick. They didn't recognize their need for a Savior. Even after they heard Jesus' message over and over again, they had heard John the Baptist's message of repentance and they still refused to believe. They wouldn't recognize their need for a Savior. They thought they were just fine. In fact, not only did they think they were just fine, but they thought they could just go about their day pointing out the sin in the lives of other people and then elevating themselves as righteous. You see, Jesus is able and willing to save those who recognize their need for a Savior. And this is really what the past three sermons have been all about. Peter, the beginning of, of Luke chapter 5, he left his life of fishing for fish in order to follow Jesus so that he could learn how to fish for people. When he, when he saw Jesus, he recognized his spiritual condition. He asked Jesus to actually leave him because he wasn't worthy to be in his presence. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet. The man who was overtaken with leprosy, if you'll remember, he didn't care what other people thought about him. He didn't care about other people's reaction when he decided to seek Jesus out. He did everything that he could to get to Jesus because he knew that he'd tried everything and only Jesus, only Jesus could make him well. He was out of options. The, the paralyzed man from last week, along with his friends who carried him, boldly went to Jesus for healing. Now, in their minds, at the time, it was, it was physical healing. We know that what all of these people really needed was spiritual healing. That's the greater need. But his friends would stop at nothing to, to lower their friend down through the roof. And as Caleb pointed out last week, there really was no plan B, right? Because there was no way back up through the roof. They did whatever they could to get to Jesus. I just think about that, that attitude and that persistence. These stories remind us about how Jesus is not only the Son of God, but he's the great physician. He's the great I am. Jesus has the power and the authority and only Jesus to forgive sin and to give any person a new start. And so the question becomes for us individually, like these men, do you recognize your need for a Savior? Do you recognize your spiritual condition? And then I would say too, as a church, as a church family, as a church body, do we recognize that there are thousands of people within our own community who need Jesus? And we've said this before, but I'll say it again. It's estimated that about 80% of La Crosse County is unchurched. 
You know, you can drive and it doesn't take two minutes to get to another church, to another congregation, to another building. But, but obviously more work has to be done if 80% of the community doesn't know the Lord. So for the last half of the message today, what I want to do is spend some time giving you some practical tools that will help you when it comes to carrying out this, this ministry of reconciliation to those who are in your circle of influence. How do you bring people to Jesus? I'll give you some practical tools today. There are two words that I want you to remember, and you can write these in your bulletin if you'd like, but it's the words invest and invite. Invest and invite. You kind of sound like they go together. We're called to invest in the lives of others and we're called to invite them into the church and into a saving relationship with Jesus. There's a passage in Matthew chapter 9 that actually connects uh, to what we've been talking about throughout Luke 5. And so we'll focus on that for the last half of the message. Luke 9, 35 through 38 says this, that when Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom, and he healed every kind of disease and illness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and they were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into the fields. So Jesus was teaching his disciples about the harvest, about the importance of reaching people with the good news of Jesus, with the gospel. So as Christians, if you're a follower of Jesus, um, you're actually given the privilege and the responsibility of partnering with God in what he's already doing, what he's already doing to reach the world that he loves. God's word tells us that we are Christ's ambassadors. We're individuals and we're families who get to represent Jesus to others. So let's talk about some of the practical ways that we can invest and invite, how we can reach people for Jesus. Number one, if you're taking notes, um, investing and inviting um, should first and foremost be motivated by compassion. It should be motivated by compassion. And we see this in how Jesus responds to the crowds. Verse 36 when he saw the crowds, he had, and what's the word? Compassion. There's a few answering over here. It's, we got to get with it this morning, church. When, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion. Good job. He had compassion on them because they were confused. They were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So what do we learn just in this, in this one verse alone? Well, we learn that Jesus was a people person. Jesus was a people person. Everywhere he went, people flocked to him. And, and you could make the case this was because of the miracles that he performed, right? In Matthew 9 alone, Jesus performed six miracles. He healed a paralytic. He healed a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. He raised a girl from the dead. He restored a sight to two blind men. He healed a man who was mute. So you could make the case that it was because of the miracles. Jesus did things that are only possible with God. I think you can also make the case that people flocked to Jesus because he was an effective teacher, God's word tells us that the crowds were always amazed at the things Jesus had to say because he taught with such authority, authority that they'd never heard before. When Jesus taught, people listened. I would say that while the miracles of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus certainly helped draw the crowds, I would argue that one of the most magnetic things about Jesus was his compassion. Jesus loved people. 
He was concerned about the needs of people. He took time to actually be present with people. You know, he spent a large portion of his time healing people uh, physically, teaching people about the good news of the kingdom of God. He he mentored and, and raised up disciples who could make more disciples. He did these things because of his love, because he was compassionate. Compassion can be seen in everything that Jesus did, and that's why people were drawn to him. That's why people are still drawn to Jesus today. You see, Jesus sees behind the mask or facade of every person that he meets, getting past what's on the surface and getting to the real need of the heart. You take the woman at the well in John chapter 4. She was trying to disguise the real hurt in her life, the real pain in her life, telling Jesus that she, she wanted a solution to her physical thirst. That was her facade. That was the mask that she was wearing. But Jesus knew that what she really needed was a solution for her spiritual thirst. That was the greater need. You know, and, and I often wonder, how, how, how many Sundays a year, how often do we come to church with a mask on? We tell everybody that everything is just fine. You know, that's, that's kind of the, the line that people ask on Sunday morning. Hey, how was your week? It was fine. How are things going? It was good. You know, we got a mask on. We're not being honest about that. Jesus sees past that. He knows what's going on in your life. And you take the Apostle Paul. He was Saul before Paul. Before he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, his mission in life was rooted in anger. It was rooted in hatred towards God's people, towards the church. Jesus helped him see past the facade of empty religion, giving Paul a new heart and a new mission for God. So the compassion of Jesus is able to see behind the facade of all people, addressing the real need of the heart. He sees the trials. He sees the sorrow. He sees the problems that you face. And not only does he see them, but he also offers hope in the midst of the pain. Jesus modeled perfect compassion. Showing us that compassion is really giving up my wants to meet another person's needs. That's a great definition for compassion, I think. It's giving up your wants to meet another person's needs. Investing in the lives of others, inviting them to come and hear the greatest news on earth, that should be motivated by compassion. See, when our witness is motivated by compassion, we take the time to really, to really get to know the other person. Learning why they believe what they believe, why they do what they do. You know, this would be an encouragement to some of our older members this morning. You've been a Christian, you know, a good portion of your life. Maybe you've been a part of OCC for a long time. You look around and there's a lot of new faces. Sunday morning is a great time where the whole church is together. It's a great opportunity for you to um, get up out of the chair and, and go and have a meaningful conversation with someone. Ask them about their kids. Ask them about what they do for work. Get to know them. And I would say for our younger people, this is a great opportunity as you're learning uh, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You know, leading with compassion, uh, having a servant's heart developing that, God developing that in you. Look around at some of the older members and look for ways to meet needs. Give up some of your wants to meet another person's need. That's real compassion. Look around and love the people well around you like Jesus. I would say the opportunities that we have to be compassionate towards another person, to serve someone else um, to the glory of God and for their good, um, often comes when we least expect it, and it often puts us out a little bit. But that's okay. 
It's really what it's supposed to be. The compassion of Jesus is able to see behind the facade of all people, addressing the real need of the heart. Investing in the lives of others, it should be motivated by compassion. When we take the time to get to know another person, um, especially those who are non-believers, I would say, you know, it really is a great feeling to finally see the mask come off as they learn more about who Jesus is and what he's done for them. It's not in my notes, so it'll probably make it go longer today, but I, I just want to share a story with you this morning. Um, when we served as a youth minister at Clayton Christian Church, just outside of Indianapolis, um, there was a guy who um, begrudgingly came to church with his wife. His wife was a believer. This guy's name is Mark, and a really smart guy. I mean, just understood business, um, knew how to make money. Um, he was kind of a magnet when you were around him, a great personality, um, but he was just kind of turned off and indifferent to, to Christ and the church. His wife was praying for him. The, our, our leadership in the church was praying for him. And he would come uh, every Sunday with his wife because it's something she wanted to do. And they had two kids. And they'd sit really in the second row, kind of where the chairs are empty up here. And um, I, got, I got to preach uh, about every eight to ten weeks or so when I was a youth minister. And any time I was up there preaching, um, you know, talk about a, a difficult audience when Mark was looking at you. And, uh, but we prayed for him, like, like daily. I just remember um, Gary, our senior pastor, we made this a priority that we were, gonna, we were gonna pray Mark into a relationship with Jesus. And, and friends, I'm telling you, week after week, the mask started to come off. You know, week after week, month after month, and what turned into a couple years, his heart started to soften to the message until one Sunday, it was out of the blue. Like, I don't even think he told his wife, to be honest with you. He showed up, but he had decided, after a couple years of hearing God's word preached and being around other believers, um, that he was going to make a decision to follow Jesus, and that day, he was getting immersed. And it was amazing. No one knew that this was going to happen. And Mark got up, he comes to the front, and he's a big guy. He's a, like, not, not, not weight-wise. I mean, he, like, lifts weights, and he's a pretty intimidating guy. And I remember kind of sitting off to the side, and Gary, our pastor, was preaching, and Mark gets up, and I'm just thinking, like, all right, I, you know, I got your back, Gary, but I don't know if I'm going to be much help. You know, I don't know what's going on in Mark's life right now, but I can, I can do a little bit. But uh, Mark got up, and he came to the front just at the end of, of Gary's message, and he just said, I'm, I'm ready. I believe. I believe. <laughs> you know, you never know what someone's going through on Sunday morning, what, what is going on in their life and how God is slowly breaking the walls down. But God wants to use you to be a part of that, you know? And, and I think about all the people that invested in Mark's life leading up to that. It can be discouraging when you share Christ with a coworker um, and they don't respond. But statistically, uh, Barna, uh, Bar the Barna Group has done a study on this. Statistically, it takes like nine or 10 times of sharing the gospel with someone um, clearly before they make a decision. So you may be number two, right? You may be number four or number five. You may never see the end result. You may not be, uh, get to, to witness the harvest, if we'll put it in the, in the terms that Jesus is using. But don't forget that, that God is using you to be a part of that. It's that ministry of reconciliation. You may have coworkers that you are just pouring into and you're trying to be that example and you're sharing Christ with them. And, and it's just a hard exterior right now. Keep praying for them. You know, involve other people in that and, and see how God can do what only he can do. You know, we've seen it here at OCC as well many, many times. So it's important to remember that there are always events in a person's past as well that, that greatly affect 
they're present. That was the case with Mark. It's the case with many of us who are here today. But when we lead with compassion, when we take the time to serve others instead of judging them first, you know, a genuine relationship forms. The, the door is open for sharing Christ effectively. I'll give you a little formula this morning. The Pharisees, you know, Pharisees see people as projects. They judge them for their problems. Saved people serve people. They love people and they're motivated by compassion. Decide which category you want to be in. So if compassion is giving up my wants to meet another person's need, then compassion is really just love in action. You know, when a coworker is sick or, or struggling, as a believer, you can be the first person to pray with them, to offer to pray with them, and to follow up with how they're doing. When an older neighbor's driveway is covered in snow, you can be the first person to offer help if you can. When a brother or sister in Christ is going through a difficult season, we as the body of Christ can, can, can come around them. We should come around them, be the first to offer support and encouragement. Investing and inviting should be motivated by compassion. It's giving up my wants to meet another person's need. It's love and action. Number two, if you're taking notes, investing and inviting should be driven by prayer. It should be driven by prayer. This connects with, with Mark's story. Prayer should be an essential part of our efforts in reaching people for Jesus. Matthew 9, 37 through 38, we'll just take the text. It comes right out of it. Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So, and what's the word? Pray. pray. So pray. Pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Are we in charge of the harvest? Are we in charge of the harvest? Who's in charge? God is. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. The, the English Standard Translation of the Bible says, pray earnestly. That's actually more accurate. Instead of just saying just pray, it says pray earnestly. We should pray earnestly. That means that we pray sincerely, that we pray with deep conviction. It's interesting to me that Really, throughout the Gospels, and if you, if you know of a place, please correct me on this. You need to test everything that I say against the Word of God. All right, we say that almost every Sunday. But I can't find a place where Jesus tells us to pray for the lost. Instead, he, he tells us to pray for the workers. I don't know if you've ever thought about that before. And here's one example. Jesus doesn't say pray for the lost. He says pray for the workers. Pray that God would send more workers into his fields. And why did Jesus tell his disciples to pray for more workers instead of praying for the lost? We don't, we don't know for sure, but I, I just imagine Jesus looking out onto the crowds of people, possibly even during harvest time, and pointing out to his disciples that the harvest is ripe, the harvest is ready for picking. Jesus was pointing out an important truth, and here it is, that there are a lot of people who are ready to give their lives to Jesus if someone would just show them how. And you get to be that person. In Matthew 9, Jesus tells us to pray that people would respond to the need for more workers. And friends, I believe that we are the workers that Jesus was talking about. We're the workers. When Jesus said the harvest is great, but the workers are few, he was reminding his disciples that the demand is far greater than the supply. 
You know, uh, we'll break that down in, in a simple way. Think about La Crosse County, uh, specifically the housing market here, right? There's a lot more buyers than there are houses available right now. And if you come across a house that's available, it's a lot more money than you can afford typically. The demand is far greater than the supply. So when it comes to reaching people for Jesus, here's what he's saying. The lost far outnumber the workers. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So friends, there's a great harvest in our community that's ripe for the picking, and God wants to use you to help with the harvest. Amen? So we need more workers. That's the call. That's the charge. We need more workers in every area. We need more, you think about the, the ministry that's taking place here at OCC for a minute. We need more workers in our children's ministry. You know, Wednesday nights is, is just taken off. I mean, we've got where we started with 15, 20 kids, you know, now 25, 26, 27 kids under fifth, fifth grade and under coming. A lot of those kids are going to be going into the youth ministry next year. I know Caleb would probably love your help. <laughs> if you love students, he would love your help. That group is going to continue to grow. They're going to invite friends. We're going to see decisions made in, in that area of ministry. We need more people on our worship team. You may have noticed a new face today. I don't want to point him out, but we got someone new up here playing guitar, which is awesome. We're really grateful for that. But I would say today, if you, if you like to sing, if you like to play an instrument, or if you want to learn how to play an instrument, we need more people on the worship team serving in this way. We need more people leading growth groups, leading our sermon follow-up groups, more workers who are willing to go overseas to serve alongside our ministry partners in other countries. We've got a Dominican trip coming up soon. We need more people that are willing to say yes to things like that and to go to the places that not many are willing to go. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are what? Few. So pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest. Pray for more workers. I look at all of these different areas. The, the potential for kingdom impact is huge. I think about our, our um, property finance team. It's just one other that comes to mind. We've got a lot of, uh, it doesn't just have to be men, but we've got a lot of younger men in the church um, that are physically capable of doing a lot of great things and, and serving in that way. And that's a ministry that we need to see grow. We need more people to be involved in that. So if you would say, you know what, I think I could give some time to, to help keep the building in order, to come alongside Dale and help him with those things, um, to help with the grass and to help with, you know, all of those things matter. All of those things matter. Everything that you do for the kingdom matters. The Bible says work as though you're working for the Lord. And whatever you do, work as though you're working for the Lord. So we need more workers in all of these areas. The potential for kingdom impact is huge, but it has to be driven by prayer specifically that God would send more workers. So here's my challenge, here's my charge to our ministry leaders, um, to our elders, to our staff. If you are comfortable praying about something like this, and even if you're not comfortable, maybe taking a step of faith, my charge today is to begin praying for more workers. Pray for more people to say yes to what God wants to do in their life and through their life as a kingdom worker. Number three, I gotta start wrapping up or Dan's gonna give me the, the pointer finger on the mute button. <laughs> Number three, uh, investing and inviting is accomplished by work. It's accomplished by work. So I, I need to say this. It's something that we already know, but I need to say it. Um, we do not work to earn God's favor, his approval, or his love. Amen? 
We, we don't work uh, to earn salvation. We know that we are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus. But, as James put it in his book, um, when God's love takes root in our lives, the natural response is to serve him with our lives. Faith without works is dead. The natural response to God's love, to his grace, is to honor him with every aspect of our lives. It's for our lives to be a living sacrifice to him. That's how Paul put it in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, when he wrote, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. You know, worship looks a lot of different ways. We have corporate worship where we come and we sing and we, we glorify God. We sing back to God the things that he's already said about himself, the things that are true about who he is. Right? There's that, that kind of worship, but true and proper worship, according to the Apostle Paul, according to God's word, is to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. It's to give God every aspect of your life. It's really the other six days and 23 hours that take place outside of this service. And I would say that if, if the only time worship happens in your life is on Sunday morning, then it's not true worship. It's not true worship. Following Jesus is meant to be a relationship. It's meant to be a lifestyle, not a religion. Our lives are meant to be a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And that, that word holy, it just means set apart. Literally, that's what it means. It means set apart by God and for God. Our lives are not our own. The Bible says they were bought with a price. And so the right response for every Christian, every Christ follower, should be complete surrender to God's leading in your life. Matthew 9, 38. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more, what's the word? Workers. Investing and inviting is accomplished by work. We need workers. Being a harvest worker, a kingdom worker is just that, friends. It's work. And one thing that I've learned about work is that work is rarely easy, isn't it? <laughs> work is rarely easy. I've, I've shared this before. I'll put my oldest son on the spot just for a second. But I remember when uh, Micaiah was, you know, he's 13 now, which is just crazy to think about. Having a 13-year-old living under your roof is an experience. Many of you have been there. But when he was about half that age, um, I remember he said something to me that I'll never forget. And I assume he said this when maybe he overheard my wife and I just talking about ministry and life and some of the challenges and, and, and the work that's involved in helping lead ministries and lead a church. But he looked at me at six, seven years old and he just said, Dad, anything worth doing is going to be hard. From a six-year-old. Anything worth doing is going to be hard. And so I, I, I took that to heart. And, and I think because of that, God used what he was saying even at a young age. And we've looked at some of the challenges and the difficulties in life, especially when it's related to ministry, and, and really tried to have God's perspective on perseverance. We just don't want to raise the white flag and, and give up whenever things get hard. Work is hard. And I would say for you, if your church life is kind of easy right now, if it's just showing up and leaving and there's not much involved other than that, then, then friends, let me urge you to... Reconsider that. Really weigh against Scripture if that's what Jesus meant when he said that the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few. Work is meant to be hard. There, there's, there's a challenging aspect to it. Sometimes it's mental. Sometimes it's physical. 
Investing and inviting, reaching people for Christ will be challenging. It'll be hard work, but it's worth it. Amen? Amen. You know, in the first century, a real-life harvest was hard work. And the farmers, they they didn't have the tractors and the machinery that, that we have today. But after a harvest was complete, and I love this, if you look back and you read historical accounts of this, especially in the first century, when a harvest was complete, the families would mark the occasion, mark the situation by by celebrating with everyone around. They were great at celebrating. They they threw large parties with food and friends and everyone was invited. Anytime there was a spiritual harvest, they also celebrated. And friends, I would say anytime there's a spiritual harvest here at OCC, anytime someone makes the decision to follow Jesus, to be baptized into Christ, um, anytime someone says, I want to become a member of the church, when there's numerical and spiritual growth, we should celebrate. We should celebrate those things. We need to learn how to celebrate more as a church family. Really, that's part of what we're going to be doing on on Saturday evening, on April 1st. We're going to come together as a church family. We're going to celebrate how God is using his church here at OCC to help grow his kingdom in this area and around the world. So let me just remind you today, if you serve in any capacity, um, you're invited to join us that evening from 6 to 8 p.m. We've invited David Upchurch from Lincoln Christian University. He's gonna come and bring just an encouraging message um, to everyone who's serving. It's gonna be an evening of celebration. It's gonna be an evening of encouragement. Let me end with Romans 10, 13 through 15. It's an amazing promise, but also a charge and a challenge for us today. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a promise that we have in God's word, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But listen to this. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring the good news.